as a founder, if your skill sets are in sales, one-on-one relationship building and pitching, then a lot of times you're more geared towards raising money from investors because those are the skill sets that are required. If your skill set is in marketing and doing kind of mass media building and awareness PR, then you'll have a better chance raising funds with equity crowdfunding because those are the skill sets required. Both of them are very, very challenging. It's just which area is going to give you more energy and are you going to wake up excited to do because that's the one you're going to actually have success in doing. This is Evolve CPG's Brands for a Better World podcast, featuring purpose-driven leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. Thanks to you, our listeners, this podcast is now ranked in the top 10% of all podcasts globally. Let's not stop there, though. You can help us reach more people by taking a moment to leave us a rating or review, which is critical for podcast algorithms and by sharing your favorite episodes with your network. The more people we reach, the more good we can bring about in this world. If you work in the industry, you can also join our online community where we're going further, faster, together at community.evolvecpg.com. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On this episode, we're speaking with Jordan Buckner, founder of Food Bevy, about what drove him into business, lessons learned from building his own food brands, and how he now supports other founders through his podcast, community, and a subscription box that celebrates minority-owned brands. Hey everyone, I'm Jordan Buckner, the founder of Food Bevy, an online community for food and beverage founders to grow from startup to scale, and also Good Food Brands, which is a online marketplace and gifting platform to help people discover unique products by merging minority and women-owned companies and got into this industry really to help kind of grow kind of food and beverage businesses. I am a previous CPG founder myself, having run my brand T-Squares for six years and went through the entire roller coaster of selling in Whole Foods, having failed co-manufacturer runs costing tens of thousands of dollars and everything in between. And so I definitely have lived this journey of being in the CPG industry and knowing everything that can go right and everything that can go wrong. So my mission now is to help other founders grow their businesses and achieve success despite the chaotic nature of our industry. Nice. So you've literally felt the pain that they're going through because it is, you know, all businesses are difficult, but the CPG industry is especially difficult for many reasons. And I'm sure we'll break into some of those as we talk further. And I'm excited to talk about both those ventures because I've newer to them, but excited to check them out and learn more about what you're up to and maybe subscribe to a box or whatever (laughs) as well. So we'll dig into that in a bit. But first, I wanted to talk a little bit about your background. So I'd like to understand people's career journeys a little bit on this show as well. So it looked like you started out studying architecture. So first off, I thought about doing that too. So I'd love to hear like what drew you into architecture. But then second of all, you shifted into an MBA afterwards University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, which is pretty cool because I'm about to do a um, commencement speech there next year for the sustainable design program. So I'll have to pick your brain on what it's like to go to school there. But anyway, what made you kind of start in architecture? Like what drew you into that? And then why shift into business? Yeah, so I think um, it's important. A lot of people ask me like why I became an entrepreneur in the first place. And I tell them it's genetic. I have come from a long family of entrepreneurs on both my mom's side and my dad's side. He ran a dozen different businesses throughout his life life, and my mom the same and her parents. And so it was just kind of fate that I would always be an entrepreneur. For a long time, I was very curious about kind of design and architecture. 
just as a quick aside, like in the reason architecture is I had an idea for a project in third grade where we were studying Frank Ward Wright design architecture in Chicago, where I'm from, and then also going to like a McDonald's for lunch or something as a field trip. And I had an idea to kind of combine the two of what the Frank Lloyd Wright design McDonald's looked like. My teacher thought it was a great idea, turned that into a class project that everyone did. And that's what kind of sparked that like, oh, I'm going to become an architect. <laughs> uh, besides like <laughs> loving playing with Legos. Kind of fast forward going through to you went know, to University of Michigan for undergrad and then Illinois for grad school. I love architecture because it was kind of the intersection of design of things and design for people. And I'm a nice, kind of yeah. a student of human design and how people behave and why. And with architecture, I was less so interested in like the construction and building methods and more so how people feel and navigate the world through spaces. And I'll tell you that it was actually a really great education in entrepreneurship of designing a business because you essentially had to start with a prompt or a problem to solve and then had to go off from there to design like a physical realizable like structure uh, from nothing, which is like starting a business. Yeah, that's cool. I hadn't thought about that before, but you're totally right because I also studied design, not architecture, but graphic design. And it is all about starting with a problem, empathizing with your customers, and then creating solutions, right? <laughs> and now that you say that, that is basically how you design a business as well, which there's a new field popping up that I've heard about called business design. And I imagine it's based on that same philosophy of uh, the same way an entrepreneur goes about designing a business, you can also consult with other people to help them design their business maybe. So, so that's cool. Oh, that's really interesting. I haven't heard of that one. Yeah. And so like from that, then I knew going through school that I love the education, but having done an internship, like at an architecture firm, the profession was not for me. The profession is all yeah, about, yeah. you know, sitting in front of a computer and drawing, you know, doing CAD drawings, or just like doing line drawings on the computer and just wasn't was missing the creative and a lot of the human parts for me. And so ended up doing a dual degree program and getting my MBA at the same time. And absolutely love that. It was a completely different mindset after doing architecture for five years of having more of that business mindset. I was the person who like the kid who sold, you know, cooking and candies in high school, like out of my backpack and had the business there. I had a t-shirt company. And so I always had small little businesses throughout. And so I was like, hey, let's actually kind of formalize some of this business training with going to business school. Absolutely love the program and learned a ton. And it taught me some of the structural foundations and frameworks of business. And I still had that creative side from the architecture program as well. And so what I realized I love doing is working at the intersection of people, design, and technology, and how all of those kind of interplay together to create you know problems and solutions for the world. That's really cool. And I'm giggling over here because it sounds like we're almost the exact same person, by which I mean, I also came <laughs> I from it. a line of entrepreneurs. I also am fascinated about design and design processes, problem solving, and went to school for design. And I also tried to double major <laughs> in in business and design. And as we'll find out later, we're also both probably food geeks as well. So it's just, just kind of funny that same kind of path because I was also since elementary school, like creating businesses, I'd go to like door to door and sell stuff to neighbors, or I'd have businesses out of my lockers selling candy to, to other students or whatever <laughs> there is. There was just always some sort of side hustle that I was working on. So I love it. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That's cool. So speaking of businesses, so soon after your MBA, you ended up launching a couple of your own businesses, Chopbox and then T-Squares. So that's where some of that food passion came in. So were you already passionate about food or did something happen somewhere along the way that drew you into food? I come from a really large family. My mom was one of 13 kids and I have literally hundreds of cousins and they were all in Chicago. And so I grew up around family, family events and food was always the centerpiece of every single event. And so it was just really that kind of connection of coming together around food and understanding its importance was really powerful. And then my mom was actually a chef and had a catering company. And so oh, nice. I learned the kind of business of food a little bit through her. And, you know, she would make me work and help out with the business. And this was like when I was in high school. And so like on the weekends and evenings, I would work with her all the time. 
and even doing things like creating product costing and expenses and marketing strategies and the like. And so that's kind of how I had a, a basis of saying, hey, I can see how to build a business in food firsthand. And so when I was in grad school, I had the idea of essentially what is a, a meal kit company would become known as the meal kit industry. And that's what Chopbox is. And it was right at the beginning of kind of Blue Apron plated HelloFresh getting started, maybe like a year after they had gotten started. So it was very early days. And came up with this kind of project during school, used it as a school project uh, for uh, okay. a development class and actually had other MBA students working on it with me, which was pretty fun and just getting their perspective and had the opportunity after uh, grad school to actually launch the company. But without the millions of investor dollars or teams <laughs> that any of the other companies had, there's literally like just me. Uh, my mom was helping out just as I was putting things together, but I was doing everything from setting up the business, creating the recipes, taking all of our photos. I had a <laughs> design agency build our website, but built it using a drag and drop editor so that I could go in and make all the changes and meet all the deliveries, did all the customer service, like everything from A to Z, shopped for the ingredients. And so like really did everything from scratch for that business. And it was a, you know, grew to kind of like a Chicago based food delivery business, which was fun, but a ton of work as I was doing everything. And we were making money every week, kind of profitable on a unit basis. But we then had like, you know, it was a horrible from a cash flow perspective because as we grew, I had to take the profits reinvested in more ingredients and more product for the next week. And so I wasn't paying myself anything and just kind of growing that business along. Built that for just over a year or two and realized that, you know, it wasn't, it was good, but it was a struggle. I saw the kind of way the industry was going where the, market for meal kits was actually much smaller than the number of companies who were trying to play in the space and they had millions of dollars in funding and I didn't raise any money. So ended up at that time, realized I wasn't eating that well myself, even though I was making meals for other people <laughs> to eat and make it easier. I wasn't doing it myself. It was very ironic. And so started tinkering around with T-squares, well, it become T-squares. And the idea for that was to create a essentially like an energy bar that was infused with ingredients to help give me like energy to actually work throughout the day while I was doing my other business. And I had some stomach issues, so I couldn't drink coffee anymore. So I actually infused the tea, like ground matcha powder into an energy bar. I was the type of person that would like make a, a cup of tea and then not drink it and it would get cold and I would microwave it again and then it would get cold again and I would never actually consume it. So <laughs> I was like, oh, if it was edible, then I don't have to worry about the temperature or anything so I can just eat it. So design a bunch of recipes, started testing it out with my Chopbox customers originally and realized that there's a much, you know, CPG would be so much easier just making a product, right? And soon I would later learn the complexities. But that's how I then pivoted from uh, Chopbox to T-Squares. I realized at the time, like, maybe I want, I want to bring on partners. So I brought on three other co-founders for that business and we were off to the races. Oh, interesting. So I've got lots of questions, but <laughs> I'll try to keep it limited. So... First off, you mentioned that you didn't raise money. It was all bootstrapped with Chopbox. And all these other competitors out there were raising millions of dollars. So was there a reason you didn't pursue funding? Honestly, I did not know where to start. I did not come from a world where like I knew investors, like I didn't have family that would, you know, invest money in me or like the family and friends around that just wasn't even existent. I didn't know anyone personally who had gone out and like fundraise to raise money. And so and with my mom's business and watching that, it was all just bootstrapped. So that's the original path that I was going to take. Um, so I didn't even think of it as a consideration. That's interesting because I, I think I'm the same way. All of my businesses thus far have all been just self-funded off of whatever revenue I could find to build and then reinvest that revenue and slowly end up paying yourself you know, over time. So, and I think it's probably this because I think my parents and grandparents' businesses were the same way. I don't know anyone that went off and got funding and we don't have a wealthy family to just write you a check for $5 million to help you start your business or anything. So, I've always been in that same bootstrap mindset. But the longer I've been in the business, especially in CPG, I understand how important it is to get cash flow, to get money, to kind of fund the growth because it's an expensive business to grow. So I wonder now that you're kind of like further along in business and 
mentoring other companies trying to grow. Do you feel like if you started Chopbox, if you could like jump back in time in a time machine and go back to your former self, would you go out and look for funding? Like, do you feel like your your positioning, your idea was compelling enough to go out and get that funding and you just didn't have the awareness? Or do you feel like the business plan wasn't really set up for that in the first place? Well, I'll say as well that with T-Squares, actually, I raised money for that business from smaller VC and angel investors. So we raised $350,000 with T-Squares. And so I did go through the funding process for that business. And coming out the other side and the work that I'm doing now, when I'm talking with founders, I really advise for them to know what they're getting into from a fundraising perspective and what that means for the long-term journey for your business. I think that's the most important part. I think a lot of founders get into CPG world or any business, especially with inventory, realize how expensive it is and that they need money to get started. Banks won't loan them money or they don't want to put up their house as collateral. And so the only option feels like raising money from investors or venture capitalists. But whereas most people start a business because they're passionate about the product or it's solving a personal issue, they don't quite realize that once they, or some for independence for from having a boss, they don't realize that when you take on investors, you're essentially hiring a boss for yourself and setting your company up on a path to sell it. And if you're not, if you don't hit those milestones, then your business will go out of business and, and can fail. And so what I advise now is I've taken the approach of encouraging founders to build a sustainable business first. And what I mean by that is getting to a point where you are break even or profitable while paying yourself as quickly as possible. Because what that will prove is that you have product market fit, meaning a product and a customer base in a way of reaching those customers profitably that gives you a good foundation to build a business. Um, sometimes it can take a couple months. Sometimes it might take one or two years. Usually the quicker it happens, the better business you have and the better your business idea is. And from that, you'll know you have a strong foundation to then either grow your business sustainably on its own, just with its own profits. You can take loans from banks or financial institutions at that point, or you can go raise money from investors or venture capitalists, knowing that you have the foundation to actually be successful. And you're really just putting more fuel on the fire, but it gives you so many more options versus brands who and founders who um, end up taking money early on, essentially realizing they don't have product market fit, and then they're struggling to raise money on a business with a bad foundation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So like for that product market fit stage, how much data, how much time do you think people need to be able to prove that to a bank to get a loan? For example... I have uh, one client right now kind of starting out in that bootstrap phase of funding the initial product runs of his business. And he's thinking like, oh, I'll just go into the market for a couple months, for example, and get the data I need and then go back to partners and banks and whoever and and raise the money showing that like there was a market for it and people paid the price that we asked for and and it sold this fast in, in these locations. In my mind, I haven't gone through the funding process, but in my mind, I would guess you'd need at least a year, if not a couple of years of data to go to a bank and, and show that it's viable because it needs to be viable long-term, not in like a one-day flash sale or a couple months, right? So banks you have more know, experience with that. What do you think? Banks want to know that you are 100% or 99% going to pay back the money, right? Like unless a pandemic happens, they expect you to pay the money back with interest. And so you need to be able to prove a track record of having cash being profitable so that you're not hoping that you'll have money in the future to pay them back. You're like, no, I'm making enough money now to pay you back. We're just going to do more of what we're doing. And so usually that takes one to two years. But also a lot of people think that you like walk into a bank and just get a business loan on like one or two visits. (laughs) Often it takes months of building a relationship with a banker so that they get to know you, your product, your business, and can take a risk on you because actually it's, less formulaic than a lot of people think. Oh, say like the national banks usually have more of like a formula where they'll see if you're credit worthy or not. But a lot of the community banks, the loan officers actually have discretion to take bets on founders who they think will be successful. And so it's really about meeting them early before you have the money, involving them in the process. And honestly, it's finding someone who like just 
you vibe with and believes in you personally, along with the numbers um, to be able to give you that investment. Uh, That's good advice to, you know, start long before you need it. And that probably goes with everything. Like I had a mentor early in my days of running my design agency that said, by the time you need to market your agency, it's too late. (laughs) By which he meant it takes sometimes a year, maybe two to develop a relationship. And if you're you're not developing that potential client relationship early, then by the time you need it, it's not going to be there, right? You're going to have to be scraping change out of your couch cushions to try to keep in the business going if you're not constantly marketing. So that's yeah, good that's advice too with the bankers. Like be building those relationships early on, talking to them about your progress, showing them what you're up to and just build that relationship so that when you do need it a couple years in, they're ready to fund you. Another question I had is I've seen a lot of folks in the industry these days and some of my clients to going through programs like WeFunder or even some of them trying to do like Kickstarter, which I think... It depends on what you're trying to do. And maybe it's like Kickstarter first, then WeFunder, then whatever. But what are your feelings on funding through those kind of platforms? Because I feel like that's not quite the same as getting regular investors where you are literally hiring yourself a boss and they're going to tell you what to do. I feel like through WeFunder, it lumps all these people up onto one line item on your cap table. And they don't really have any say in your business. They probably don't have any big enough interest in it. They're just there to support you. So it's almost like raising a friends and family kind of round or something like that, where they're doing it more out of support than to like tell you what to do and give you advice. So do you often point some of your people in the community to resources like that? Yeah, equity crowdfunding is amazing and has opened up a lot of doors. Here are two frameworks that I suggest as a way of thinking about it. As a founder, if your skill sets are in sales, one-on-one relationship building and pitching, then a lot of times you're more geared towards raising money from investors because those are the skill sets that are required. If your skill set is in marketing and doing kind of mass media building and awareness PR, then you'll have a better chance raising funds with equity crowdfunding, because those are the skill sets required. Both of them are very, very challenging. It's just which area is going to give you more energy and are you going to wake up excited to do because that's the one you're going to actually have success in doing. And so I would use that framework first to really reflect on what you enjoy. The second thing is in starting a business, I have a new three C's framework for how to make the journey easier. If you have one of these three things, then the journey would be a lot easier. If you have two, then you'll have a much better chance of success. The three things C's are cash, community, or customers. Meaning, if you're coming into this with a personal savings or investments of like a million dollars, you can have the resources to build the product, to market it, to draw in customers, right? You can build that awareness. If you don't have cash, but you have a community, say you built up a following on TikTok or on your niche, wherever you're serving, hundreds or thousands of people who are like, give me something to buy from you, I'm ready. Then that makes a great way of starting a business because you have potential customers built in. And then the third for customers, what I really mean is having a product that has customers ready to buy it. Um, they're just waiting for someone to serve that need. And so there's a unmet need in the market that people are like, you put it out there, I'm giving you my money. And some people get lucky. Some, a lot of times you'll see like better for you versions of very popular products that people are like, oh, I'm trying to reduce my soda consumption. I'm looking for like a healthier alternative where I don't feel bad, but I can still drink soda, right? It's like, I have the need. I'm just looking for something better. Someone deliver it that tastes good and I'll give you my money. And if you have one of those three C's or two or rarely you see three, but you'll have a much better chance of success. I kind of say that because if you have the community portion, equity crowdfunding is a great way to raise money because you already have a built-in audience who's willing to invest in you. And sometimes that works on the equity side. You can also do it with like reward-based crowdfunding, which is are like the Kickstarters and Indiegogos. I love that. That's a good way of looking at it. I guess one question I would have on that framework is the customers part seems almost the mandatory and then the cash or the community are the two optional ones. Like you can have one or the other, maybe something like that. I'm not entirely sure. But the reason I say that is even if you could have all the cash in the world, but if nobody wants to buy this thing that you just decided is a good product, but nobody actually wants it, then 
you're just going to burn all that cash trying to get people to buy it and they're not going to actually come back to buy it a second time or whatever, right? Yeah, no, so true. I think the nuance and how I present it is usually around if someone like wants the thing as is versus having the functionality, you might need to educate them on the uh, use case. Right. So, okay. for instance, right, yeah. if someone wants is looking for like energy but doesn't want to drink coffee, they have like the neat state, but maybe right. a functional shot would satisfy that, but they don't know they want a functional shot to solve that benefit. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's like creating a new category kind of thing. Yeah, that exactly. That's awesome. Sorry for the deep dive into fundraising there. That was just an interesting question that you brought up. <laughs> so, well, no, it's really relevant right. because that's the number one issue that brands are dealing with right now that I meet. Yeah. I had some other questions in there, but I think we've moved past that by now. So let's shift into some more of the present day stuff that you're working on. So I can't remember if I wanted to talk about good food brands or food bevy first, but let's just start with uh, good food brands. So what inspired you to launch this subscription box? Like there's there's lots of subscription boxes out there these days, right? But you decided to come at it from an angle of supporting minority-owned food brands, which is really cool. But A, why a subscription box? And B, why did you think the world needed that kind of focus for a subscription box? Original product actually started when the pandemic first was kicking off and we were looking to, as a, I was running T-Square still at the time and looking for ways to support healthcare workers. And so what I actually did was band together with other founders and create a box where um, we would actually donate the number of the proceeds to a hospital to help support healthcare workers when COVID was, was huge. And so that was our first box that I put together under Good Food Brands. And then from that, later in the year, when there were the social unrest and protests around the murder of George Floyd, we wanted to do something to really highlight other founders and support minority-owned businesses because of the disparities that exist in the industry. And so as a Black founder myself, I kind of knew firsthand a lot of the issues from building awareness and kind of being put as like a niche product or fundraising and wanted to support other minority uh, founders and also a lot of women uh, founders who I knew were facing a lot of difficulties at the time as well. And so we started putting together boxes around Black History Month and Women's History Month. Uh, Latinx History Month and Asian American Pacific Islander Month. And so really kind of supporting these groups of founders around when kind of thematically there are these inflection points in the country was really drawing attention to them. And since then, it really developed into a more fully fleshed out marketplace for minority and women-owned um, emerging food and beverage products. And so we have our subscription box, but you can also buy individual items on there. You can buy one of our curated boxes, which are available just as a one-off purchase all year long to really discover like unique products that you might be able to find locally, but aren't available nationwide. And so a lot of times as well, people might say like, hey, this product was really interesting. I don't necessarily need a whole case of it, but I'd love to try like a couple of different things. And so we actually buy product from the pro the companies that we support. We warehouse it in our own facility and then we are able to mix and match products to send them out. So you might get a pack of partake chocolate chip cookies or dozens cousins rice and beans um, mixed in with a couple other products there. We can actually send that all to you. And what's interesting is we've gotten a huge demand of customers looking to like gift really unique items. And so our gifting business has really exploded. And we're actually going to be focused on that for 2023 because a lot of people are looking for unique gifts around food to send out for holidays, birthdays, events, and to support different groups. And so that's where we're going to be focused on in 2023. Awesome. Yeah, I saw when I was looking at the website that you have corporate options for like corporate gifting, right? And I went to buy that for all my team members because <laughs> I thought it was a great idea. But then when I went there, it was like you had to kind of fill out a bit of a form and and talk a little bit about how many team members you have and stuff, which I think makes sense because it could be anything from like 20 boxes and a subscription all year round to just 20 individual boxes or like a thousand or 10,000 boxes, right? It's like a big animal. So you need to probably do some custom quotes for that. But of course, I was too late to the game and I'm like, crap, but I need to order something right now. So I was like, I'll put that on the back list and I'll come back we'll get you there for um, next year. to this later. <laughs> but but anyway, so I saw that you're doing corporate boxes, which I think is really smart, but also the gifting makes a lot of sense because I think a lot of these 
subscription type companies or just like gift basket type companies really crush it around the holidays for sure. But then also there's, you know, always some sort of birthdays or other kind of reasons to either give something to your team members or to clients or something like that. And then I think especially as companies are going more remote now, what used to be the corporate snack benefits of like having all your coffee and snacks provided for you at the office has gone away for a lot of people. So I, I could see a future where you also with that cor- with those corporate boxes do like, you know, office snack boxes where you just set up a plan that provides their team members with, you know, whether it's quarterly or monthly or whatever <laughs> drops of snacks. So it's almost like the benefits of an office. Yeah, no, totally agree. So we actually are doing some of that now. So we uh, work with companies on the larger side, including Amazon, Google, Yelp, to kind of gift boxes sometimes in the, you know, depending on the team, might be a hundred, might be a couple of thousand that are going out. And then we also work with smaller teams or they might say like, hey, I have 10 people I want to send boxes to. And we do custom assortments and send those out as well. And so I absolutely love that. And we have some clients who work with us throughout the year to do exactly what you mentioned. And so that's the fun thing about having our own facility and warehouse. We do a lot of bespoke and custom boxes for partners and can make it really fun. And when you say you have your own warehouse, I assume you don't like own the building, but you'd like rent some space within a warehouse or something. How does that work? So it's part of a building that my mom owns and then we share warehouse space in there. So she owns it and we rent space from her and work out of there. Nice. That's awesome. So to some degree you're supporting her business at the same time. (laughs) Exactly. That's really cool. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about the subscription box though. Like, so I want to hear both from like your side, like how do you decide what brands to buy like obviously you've got the checkbox of minority owned but then beyond that like what are you out there looking for in case anyone's listening to this and wants to be part of this program but then also for the customer i know sometimes these subscriptions are like csa's like community supported agriculture kind of boxes you they have like a base box that they're probably going to ship you and then they say here's what you're getting and then sometimes you have the option to customize it or something so from your standpoint how are you deciding what goes in these boxes each month or for a year like are you signing contracts with brands for a while and then from a customer standpoint do they get any say or is it always a surprise yeah so every month it's different and so each month we'll have a different curated set of items right now they're around mostly the heritage months that we have going on throughout the year and so we'll curate a set of boxes around that we have a curation team that's helping to like try different products that are coming in um, to make sure they fit within our three tenants which are good for your taste buds good for your health and good for your community so they have to taste good they have to have healthier um, ingredients and then also we look for companies that have some type of benefit to their community or to the environment or to uh, some uh, greater purpose. And so we're always looking for companies who want to submit those. If you're interested, you can email me at jordan at goodfoodbrands.org and we kind of take on rolling submissions. And then when we get products, we test them through a small group of our customers to see if they like them and what products they're looking for. I'll tell you the most popular items are snack items. And so that's what we get a lot of. And then once they kind of go through our initial test, then we'll actually buy products for from those vendors. And so with our monthly box, we're kind of curating that for the customer. And so we don't have options for them to pick and choose for the subscription, but at any time they can kind of go on and build their own box that they want for any given month, just directly on our marketplace, being able to choose the individual items. And then the other thing that's really different for us as well is we have a big focus on storytelling. And so we actually share the founder stories of who they are, why they create the business and why it's kind of important to them. And a lot of our customers like that connection to the founders. So it's not just about the product. It's actually about the person behind the product. Is that storytelling done through like printed materials that come with the box or is it through emails or an app or something? both printed materials that come with the box and through email in our our website as well. That's really cool. That reminds me of this. I had a idea pre pandemic that I didn't end up launching, but it was to start this sort of like nonprofit fundraising platform to some degree, but aimed at younger millennials who maybe are starting to have a little bit of cash to donate, but don't have like $10,000 checks to write or whatever, but want to donate 
So like by grouping all their donations towards specific nonprofits, it's more significant for that nonprofit. It makes things easier for them from the, for their bookkeeping, etc. But then also helps these younger millennials like dip their toes into philanthropy. But a lot, the big part of the idea was storytelling. It was help these nonprofits tell their story so they can spend less time on their marketing and more time on their cause, and then help these young philanthropists learn about more about these causes and see which ones they might want to get more involved in and like volunteer for or something. So I love that you're doing the storytelling element because that's almost as much of the benefit as getting to try the products in my opinion. No, it's so key. And I will say like one learning that, um, that I had in doing this and just how our customer base has kind of changed. So at the beginning we were focused on doing like the subscription boxes and that was a big part of our business And then we launched kind of our marketplace of individual items so that people can buy and support those. But honestly, like with the way the economy is going and inflation, we're seeing a lot of people just not as interested or like canceling just subscriptions overall. And then looking for kind of purchase things like from the grocery store where things are cheaper and like general trend for D2C. But where we're seeing an uptick in our business is around gifting. And so we're actually, that's why we're kind of doubling down on the gifting component. We're going to come out with some really cool curated boxes for different events throughout the year and around holidays. And that's where we actually are seeing the future of good food brands are being focused there because that is definitely a demand that's fairly consistent throughout the year. It kind of peaks in the holidays, but we've seen a strong demand for the gifting side of our business. And are you seeing a lot of those gifts being somebody buying someone else a subscription or buying someone a one-off box? One-off boxes. So we're, well, honestly, we'll probably see less subscriptions overall and then more one-off boxes. And, you know, maybe as the economy picks up, somebody that was gifted a box will have liked it enough to subscribe later. So like maybe you include a coupon that's like, hey, if you liked this, come subscribe for you know, your first box for your, I don't know, some, some sort of promo like that could be cool. Exactly. Yeah. And we're starting to see people right now who are gifted a box and then they'll actually come back and gift a one-off box to someone else as well. Nice. Okay. So that's cool. I love that project and excited to see how it evolves from here. With that said, you know, we hinted earlier in the show that you have another business and that you, like me, like to have multiple things going on at once. So as if launching this one new business during the pandemic isn't hard enough, but you decided to launch another one, I think almost at the same time, but you can clarify if one came before the other. But you decided to launch a community and directory called Food Bevy that, as we talked about before, kind of helps other entrepreneurs like yourself avoid some of the mistakes or whatever that maybe you made and, and help each other kind of grow faster. So why both of these companies at the same time? How did, did one come up before the other? And then how are you generally helping the members of that community? Yeah, so Food Bevy is where I'm spending the bulk of my time right now in terms of actually my days and I absolutely love it. So as you mentioned, Food Bevy is an online community that's set up to support early stage entrepreneurs in the food and beverage and CPG industries to grow their business around a couple core areas. One is gaining community, so connecting with other founders and group settings and in kind of smaller, large group settings and small group settings. The second are education. And so we host webinars, we have the Startup to Scale podcast that I host and work with a bunch of experts to bring in materials for founders so you don't have to figure out everything from the beginning. Things like how to choose between self-manufacturing and contract manufacturing, um, how to choose a business credit card, just very kind of educational things geared towards CPG companies. We also have over $3,000 in discounts available, including things like discounts on Klaviyo, Stripe payment processing, and MailChimp and tons of other things. And then we also do a lot. I kind of help with help brands kind of discover partners as well. And so there's lots of options that you can choose from design agencies, marketing firms, accounting firms, and even like finding retail buyers and investors. So we have a directory of, I think it's over 4,000 partners, everything, including those topics, uh, PR editors, Basically, anyone that you need to know to build your business, we want them in our directory. And I would say it's kind of like a Yelp for the food and the beverage industry so that you can come on, look for a partner, and then get in touch with them and being able to grow that. And really, it's just around like making this whole process easier. As I always say, starting a business isn't supposed to be easy. It's hard. But who knew it's supposed to be this darn hard when you're actually <laughs> like on the ground and you're doing it? You're yeah. like, I feel like I'm constantly pushing up against a wall every day. And so my job is to remove a couple of those barriers. You know, as a 
quick example is talking to a founder who just joined. He's like, hey, I've been looking for like hours to find like a product recall plan. I'm like, oh, I have like a whole packet on how to do it. Here you go. Right. I gave it to him oh, nice. two minutes when he has spent hours already and would have spent another 10 hours looking for something that I had ready to go. And so That's it's those amazing. types of things. Or if someone's looking for like a Whole Foods buyer, we have the contact information for every Whole Foods buyer in the country. And we can just send that over to them. And some I know from working with them and I can send over an introduction. And so really, it's just about like giving founders a leg up so that not everyone has to reinvent the wheel when these things have been done already. I love it. That's part of what I like about community is by working together and sharing our knowledge, we can go further faster together is the way I kind of keep phrasing it. And that's just a riff off the old African proverb of if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. But I, And I feel like that made sense in those times, right? But in a digital world where we can literally, like you said, ask a question and somebody gives you a resource that saves you years of heartache or headache and you know hours and hours of research or having to pay a consultant to build this thing for you or whatever, you literally just hand it off to them you know, by being in this community. That's saving you years in your growth curve, right? So I feel like by building communities like this, we can all get further, faster, just by going together. So I love what you're doing there. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a big fan too. That I know like you have the, com- the Evolve community and the things that you're doing. There's tons of other people who are helping emerging brands. And I take the viewpoint that like the better we can build our ecosystem and work together, the better everyone can succeed because, you know, even with the thousands of people kind of in the emerging brand industry, we're still just like a small piece of the much larger industry. And so exactly as you mentioned, by working together, we can all go much farther. Yeah, yeah, I totally extend that not just to brands working together, being part of a community, but communities working together too, because that's a big part of what we've been doing since we launched is just reaching out to all the other communities and seeing like where we can help them or or how we can do some stuff together. Because rather than everyone being in different silos and not being connected. Like we all have something interesting to offer to the world. So let's offer those things together and help each other out. So I love that. So how many, I know you have both partner kind of vendor partner memberships as well as like brand memberships. So are you mostly like full of brands? Like how many members do you have? How did you go about getting all these members when you first launched? Because I'm assuming it started from scratch. So did you just did it start with your direct community and then has grown from there? Like how, how has this thing gotten to where it is now? Yeah. So from being a CPG founder, just knowing other founders from expos and events, um, we invited in our first couple hundred uh, members from there. Now our community is up to about 800 brands who are part of our larger community and hundreds of partners who are there. And it's really just about, you know, we my whole goal is to kind of be a concierge and to know all of our members so that I can help them on a personal level to grow. And so balancing that level of like being large and helping as many people as possible while also knowing each member and the problems that they have so I can send them specific tips that are going to be best for their business. And so that's how I always tell people like, I, I like the word concierge because I'll talk to founders and say, hey, what problems are you dealing with? And then I will then... I can't solve them directly, but I can recommend a resource or a partner who can solve that problem for them. I love that. How are you doing that though? Like, how are you onboarding the new members? I'm not entirely sure, but I think you can just go and sign up on your website. So after somebody signs up, are you personally giving them a phone call, signing up a meeting, or is there like an intake form? How do you learn what they need so you can help them? Yeah. So in order for them to make sure they like see everything, because we have a lot of resources now, they'll get an email that kind of has our breath of like what resources are available on the platform. And then for a lot of them, I'll set up a time one-on-one to talk with them. Sometimes depending on their schedule, it's like over a Zoom call and other times it's just via email. And then they'll usually, I'll ask them, you know, what let you the food bevy and why did you join? How can I help? And then that's when they'll send me the information there. And in that nice. way I can go out and find that and deliver it back to them. That's very cool. I love it. And then for your industry partners or or whatever, I keep forgetting what we're calling them, but like, because you said you want it to be like the Yelp for the food industry. So is there some sort of criteria for which industry partners you accept? Or is there like a ranking system where people give reviews? How are you making sure that the people you're referring out to are actually good companies for these members? 
Yeah, having gone through the experience of working with terrible partners in my life and like wasting thousands of dollars on people <laughs> who have duped me, it's really important that like I actually bring in partners that I would recommend. So um, the partners who come on, uh, the industry partners, and they, as I mentioned, they tend to be like marketing agencies or accounting firms and the like. Um, I'll interview all of them, and what I'm actually looking for or found or they usually talk to the founders there, but the partner who wants to give education and value back to the community first and is not looking for like an immediate sale. We've had some partners who came in, they're like, hey, can you get me leads? Like I want a hundred leads for founders, like in the time that I'm a partner. I'm like, this isn't going to be a good fit because like as a founder myself and all the founders I know, right? Like we get so many inbound sales from just like random people saying they're going to triple our business and they never do. And so it's like, (laughs) I want you to show me the value that you could provide first. Let's build a relationship so I can get to know you. And then we can try partnering together if we vibe together. And that's why you can tell our partners, right? Like, we don't have a single partner for like an area. So we don't have just like one marketing agency. We'll have several. And the reason is because everyone has a different clientele base that they're going to fit with based on skill set or just personality, honestly. And so when I give recommendations for a founder, I'll typically send over three recommendations or say, hey, what's your budget? What's your... um, What's your scope? What are you looking to achieve? Here are three founders that fit within that. Talk to them and see which one best fits like what you're looking for so that you can get the most out of you know what your project is. Awesome. That sounds good. So you also mentioned Startup to Scale podcast. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So with the podcast, we launched it at the beginning of 2022 or the end of 21, but really as a way of like getting more information out to founders. I think a lot of it came from like a little bit of Zoom fatigue and being able to like sit down <laughs> totally. and like watch a full webinar. Like not only are people like out and about more, but they're just like busier in the world. And so with our podcast, is designed to bring on founders and our expert partners to give these like 30 second interviews around either a founder story or for a partner, like an area that they're an expert in around, you know, how to build an email marketing campaign or how to think about cash flow and finance as you're building out your business to be able to like for founders to get those like quick education snippets throughout their day. And it's interesting so our episodes are 20 to 30 minutes each. And I'll hear from founders all the time. They're like, I didn't hear about your podcast, but I started listening. I've just been like binging episode after episode. <laughs> so it's just been really great in terms of that. And I purposely kind of keep, I like both like short and long form podcasts. For us, I like the short form just to be able to get like as much information in as, like the time as possible. Yeah, I've dabbled with a bit of both longer and short and I've been trying to figure out if I should just settle on one or the other, but I, I kind of <laughs> like having the option to go yeah. deep with some people because I hear a lot of feedback from our community that they like the deep conversations when they've got the time for it, right? But I also like the idea of offering them like 20 minutes or 10 minute chunks of just quick advice, right? You don't always have an hour to sit around and listen to a podcast. Sometimes you have 10 minutes while you're prepping lunch or something. So, so I like the idea of both. And it's funny that you mentioned the Zoom fatigue because that's exactly why <laughs> this podcast got started too as we <laughs> started as just kind of more like an invite-only Zoom meetings where I was just p- pulling my network together and having them share advice with each other. And then when Zoom fatigue set in, I just asked like, okay, how often or where would you like this content? And the majority of people said, do a podcast or YouTube channel and we'll watch it whenever we have time. So it's H, I'm starting funny. to think that we're like very same, <laughs> the same person is living in a parallel universe. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think you're probably, because you actually got the MBA, you're probably a little better at the business side of these things. Cause I was, <laughs> when I was looking at your food baby, I was like, Oh, we do a lot of this stuff too in our community for a slightly different slice of this market. But we do it all for free at the moment. <laughs> I'm like planning on someday, like adding some deeper dive, like paid options, like classes and other things. But but when I looked at your community, I'm like, okay, this person's actually smart about business because you're building something that's sustainable so that you can actually put the level of service in that you want to. Whereas I keep wishing I had more time to put into the community because right now I have to spend so much of my time on my agency because that's what funds all this it's fun stuff. Well, and I'll but tell you too point, that when I was running T-Squares maybe three years into our six-year journey, I started bringing together founders in person around like having these weekly founder conversations and getting groups together and ran it for a couple of months. And then like 
one day, like I couldn't make it because of a business meeting. And the next, like my co-host couldn't make it. And it just kind of fell apart because it wasn't the primary thing. So a lot of times people ask, like, why do you kind of charge for a membership or like whether I get for it? And I really designed it so it can be sustainable and live exactly, on effectively yeah. like forever to put the time in because I knew firsthand like it, it's easy to kind of get pulled away and not be able to like invest what you really want into it. But now just with this, I've been able to like align the work that I do so that it can be self-sustainable. And like KLST, like my goal is to make it really affordable for um, founders who join too. So I definitely think there's room for you as well, like to build that into your business model. So that say like, hey, you're investing your time and energy into the community and with the paid offerings that other people will like get higher value from it. And you can dedicate a certain amount of time to it that's set um, from that. So I think you definitely have that option. Yeah, I think I've I've got a lot of good ideas for how to continue developing the community side of our our work. I think I just have gotten hung up on which place to start with because like one of the visions is to have a bunch of classes, like educational stuff like you're talking about. So one-off classes or longer courses or whatever. And my vision for that is just to tap all the smart people in the community, like maybe yourself or like former podcast guests like Erica, who's, you know, great at growing her brand on TikTok or Maybe Dan Kurzrock, who knows how to do upcycled supply chains or, you know, just pull these people in and do a bunch of classes where it's like revenue share. They make some money and they share their knowledge and people pay a little bit to get this knowledge. And that's like one one possible path forward that I think will happen at some point. I just need to find the time to do it. But then also like more of like these growth groups where it's more like the concierge kind of thing you're talking about where you get access to these mentors and you go through an audit and you have accountability and we're checking in and helping you get towards your goals with myself or other coaches, mentors as like yourself or other people in our community that could come in and help advise folks. And then there's, you know, other ideas beyond that. But but it's for me just like getting started when like figuring out that right spot to start and, and growing from there. I've just been a little bit hung up on that because I want to time it right, like not around Expo West or not around this or not around that. And to be honest, I'm probably overthinking it, just need to do it. But another well, angle I is I don't want to necessarily replicate something that already exists. I'd rather like if you've got a great offering in one area, I'd rather just point people to your offering and then create something unique. So been a little bit overthinking it, but there are good ideas for moving forward. I love all those. I think the best way to start is by like pulling your existing community and see like what they would find most valuable and start there. And so that's actually what I did finishing up this year is pulled our food bevy community and I gave them like 10 different I I've been saying with you, like I have a million ideas. So I gave 10 different ideas and asked them to like rate which ones they find most valuable. And then from that and building out our roadmap for this year. And so the biggest thing that people are looking for were connections with other founders and small group pods. And so I'm putting together what's called oh, Founder cool. Circle. And so I'm putting together like groups of three to four founders that they'll actually get to build their businesses alongside for um, figuring out the time either like six months or a year so that they can have like other founders to share the ups and downs and ask information for and share things that like you publicly might not want to say that like your fundraising round fell through and you're kind of desperate and looking for help, right? You don't want to share that publicly, but you can have a private group of founders who you can share this kind of confidential information for. I just be like, oh man, this like distributor really screwed me over. <laughs> like, how do I get out of this mess? And so things yeah. like that. So we're actually totally. launching that in January. That's great. Yeah, I think Brand Pollinators is doing something somewhat similar, like more of almost like what's that? There's an app that's like lunch date or I don't know, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I talked to Kate as well just last week. We were talking about you too. So she and I actually, this is why I love, like she and I actually like share tips on like how each of us were building the platforms. I know she was doing a lot of like one-on-one meetings with founders and kind of facilitating those conversations. And so she shared like the pros and cons of doing that. And then I shared like, hey, we're going to test out these group things. And I told her like, I'm going to come back in January like I'll let you know how they're working and it's something that like we can either combine our communities to do this together or like if you want to do small group sessions in the same way, like I'll let you know how it goes so that we can uh, yeah. just help as many people. Yeah, that's back to the collaborating collaborating thing, right? I think sure we could all try to build something in a silo and like learn our lessons and keep them to ourselves, or we can share our lessons with each other, help each other grow, but then also find ways to where we're overlapping to just do that thing together. So that's what like Kate and I just did the impact driven holiday guide. And I'm thinking next year, like what if we have like five different communities all contributing or more to that holiday guide? And, and it could maybe even extend beyond 
the end of the year holidays and we could have guides for birthdays and I don't know, other things like that could become its own collaborative thing, cross community. But then also like, why not tap Alibal for her retail ready course and have like an intro program on our community that then if they want to go deeper, they can go join her community or, you know, there's just all these ways that we could just be doing more together. And, you know, Kate was talking about her conversation with you and that we need to chat about other ways to collaborate. Like, I don't know if you're doing anything for Expo West, but we were talking about some sort of collaborative event with multiple communities at Expo West, maybe, you know, all inviting our communities to like the startup CPG event or going to the Upcycled Food Association event, or maybe just doing our own thing. So there's just tons of opportunity and and ways to connect and do more together. Yeah, I think so. That's perfect. Because like I won't be able to attend any um, like Expo West going on. So I would love to, and I've been encouraging my members to like, hey, here are the other events that you should like attend or go to. And get yeah, those and that's another thing in our community. We've got this event section, but I've been thinking, I just want to fill that. Sure, we'll have some of our own events, but I want to fill it with like, here's some food bevy events you can go to. Here's some brand pollinator events you can go to. Here's some naturally network events you can go to and just have it be like, a collection of all the events that would be relevant to folks. And then I'm also talking to some people about like what it would look like if we just kind of merged our communities to some degree, by which I mean, if a bunch of us are going to be on the same platform, like Mighty Networks, like why, why not create like a joint Mighty Networks kind of thing where we each have our own space within that Mighty Networks. And then if I wanted to create a class and a challenge and I could create a, a bundle that where they could uh, join those things, but then also join something you're doing at the same time. And like, there's just a lot of cross pollination in there that I really like. So lots of ideas, bottom yeah. <laughs> line for those listening, you know, there's all these communities, there's these courses, there's these podcasts, there's all these resources out there for you. Find them all, <laughs> like, find the ones that like fit you best, uh, join them and then like stay tuned. Maybe those communities will be doing things together in the future. Uh, but I lo- love all that stuff that you're doing. So maybe to start wrapping this conversation up, what are you most excited about when you think about the future of food? I'm really encouraged by the founders and the passion that's out there for entrepreneurs. I think that 2023 is going to be a really challenging year. And we're going to see, unfortunately, like some companies go under, but the companies who are have like a really great product and are good at building community will see a lot of success. And I'm really looking forward to helping those founders succeed and grow their businesses and become, you know, one day household names. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I think I'm sure all industries are like this to some degree, but of course, since I geek out on the food industry, I love the way this industry just constantly has new stuff and it's usually new stuff from, new founders or whatever, right? It's not like, sure, some of the big brands, big food companies are starting to launch new things too because they're learning from the startup movement what works and what doesn't work and trying to dip their toe in those waters. But usually it's the startup level founders who are bringing something really interesting to the market because they're on the ground and experiencing the problems with the food industry and more likely to be passionate enough to come up with a solution early stage before it's proven out, right? Whereas big food usually wants to wait until something's like a proven idea before they either buy another existing company or start their own kind of thing. So there's just so much interesting new stuff always happening in this industry. Like that's part of why I love to go into trade shows is you get to see what the food industry is going to look like five or 10 years from now by going to those shows and seeing what's hot. Like trends that pop up and die off quickly and some pop up and go strong from there. Like the you know, plant-based movement that was exploding for a while and is maybe getting a little bit kneecapped right now. Uh, More of the plant-based meat is getting kneecapped, but plant-based in general is probably strong. But like regenerative movements, like that's really strong right now. More and more companies, I feel like each year are talking about regenerative agriculture. So I don't know. There's, and then you could just talk about per category too, just so many fun things. So I I love what you're you're talking about. I think our, uh, our industry is never stale pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or if it is, it was, you know, a problem with the packaging and they can fix that by joining a group like Food Bevy (laughs) and and picking the brain (laughs) of other founders of what packaging they got into. So cool. I love that. I appreciate you taking some time to come out and chat with us. And I love all the things that you're doing and how you're doing it with mission in mind, right? You're trying to help other people. You're trying to build community. You're trying to help other founders and you're trying to raise awareness for other minority owned businesses and, and so many other great things. So, Appreciate 
you doing what you're doing and especially because we're we do seem so similar and doing a lot of similar things that uh, maybe I appreciate that part too. It's, it's fun to see another version of me out there doing things in a different way that I might not have thought of. And, and it's, it's great to see good things happening in the world as always. So keep doing what you're doing and I appreciate you taking a little time to come and share it with our community. Yeah. Thanks so much. And uh, you'll see some collaborations between Gage and I in the future for sure. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm really yeah. looking forward to working. Like I seriously enjoyed this conversation. I'm so happy we had a chance to talk. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Jordan or his company, visit foodbevy.com. That's F-O-O-D-B-E-V-Y.com. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback, so send us ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com. And of course, if you work in the industry, come join our community at community.evolvecpg.com, and we'll go further, faster, together.